Good morning, and a warm welcome to you all to the service of worship at Ladywell Baptist Church. It's great to be together uh, to worship the Lord at the beginning of a new week. Just as we begin our time, a couple of things to mention to you for the coming week. Uh, tomorrow evening, that's Monday evening, at half past seven, we'll be having another drop-in cafe. And so if you would like to go along to that, that will be on Zoom, and uh, you'll need a login and a password for that. So if you want to contact myself or one of the other deacons, we can make sure that you are connected into that if you would like to go along. There's no agenda, just a chance to be together and encourage one another and to see some familiar faces. On Wednesday evening, we'll be continuing with our weekly prayer meeting. That will be at half past seven on Wednesday evening as we continue our studies in Matthew's Gospel and spending time together in prayer again on Zoom and so if you would like the um, information, login information for that, then please do get in touch with us. It would be great to see you there and to be able to pray together as well as to hear from God's word. As we begin this time of worship together, we hear from God's word in Psalm 111, where the Lord says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. And it's a great encouragement for us to know that as we come to worship this morning, that we do so exulting in the great works of the Lord in creation and in salvation, that we exist through the creative power of his hands but we are called into his presence to worship him through the great saving work of Jesus on our behalf. God's saviour for us that we might know him and love him and meet together to worship him in this way. So as we come together this morning, we do so knowing that God doesn't simply ask us to come into his presence. He takes joy, he delights in our gathering together to praise his holy name for his goodness to us in creation and also in salvation. It's great to be able to praise God together with those words where we confess his place over us as both our creator, the one who knows us completely from beginning to end, but also our savior, the one who does everything necessary for us so that we can know him and respond to him in love and in worship as we have done this morning. We're going to come now to God's word and we're continuing our studies in Genesis. And this week we're reading from Genesis chapter 11 as we read of the account of the Tower of Babel, the spreading of people across the world and the uh, development of all the various languages of our world. And so we read in Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9 and then 27 to 32 these words. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, 
Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham. Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for its reading this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, confessing that you are our sovereign Lord, the author of creation and the author of salvation. Lord God, we want to thank you this morning for your great goodness to us in the person of Jesus, Lord, who comes to be our Savior. Lord, regardless of what we were like, of how terrible our lives were or how wonderful we thought they were, Lord, Christ comes to reveal to us our need of salvation and to provide it completely, perfectly for us. And so, Lord, as your people this morning, we give you thanks and praise for you have provided everything. Lord, we thank you especially for your call that we come into your presence with song and in prayer and in humility before your word that we might worship you. And Father, we thank you especially for the technology that you have made available so that we might be able to sing your praises, pray together, Meet, Lord, and see one another face to face throughout the week and hear from your word each Lord's day. Lord, without this, we would truly be in isolation. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have made it possible for us at this most difficult of times to worship you as a family altogether. Lord God, we want to pray for our fellowship here in Ladywell. We ask that you would continue with us and bless us. You would build us up, Lord, that even through this time of isolation and separation, Lord, we might grow both individually as Christian disciples, but together as one church family. We thank you, Lord, that that expectation that we will grow together is not gone, Lord. There is still that desire on your part that we would grow and mature regardless of our circumstances. The blood of Jesus extends beyond the bounds of isolation and lockdown, beyond, Lord, the touch of coronavirus. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. There is nothing that can stop us being your people and growing as your people because of all you've done for us in Christ. Lord God, we want to lift before you those in our fellowship who have particular need at this time. And Lord, just in this moment, we want to lift them before you by name, Lord, within our own households and ask that you might bless them. You might encourage them. Lord, you might heal those who are struggling. 
Lord, you might bind up those who are brokenhearted, and you might provide for those who have need that can be met by others within this church here in Livingston. Lord God, we thank you that you have equipped us, Lord, to serve in this church where we have such a variety of people, a variety of backgrounds, and a variety, Lord, of needs. And so we're able to minister one to another. And so, Lord, build up the whole congregation. Heavenly Father, we want to ask that you would bless our gatherings, both in terms of our Sunday worship, but also our Monday drop-in cafe and our Wednesday prayer meeting. Lord, we ask that you would bless our YF as they meet each week online. And Father, we pray as well for those who come to the community fridge each Friday. Lord, we ask that you would bless us all richly in this time, that we may know your presence, know your sustaining power, and Father, might give you glory as a result. Lord, we do pray for those who come to our community fridge each week. We ask that you would enable us to bless them in whatever way they have need. We thank you, Lord, that you are providing for so many through the ministry, that particular ministry of this church. And although it saddens us, so many need to use a community fridge. We thank you that you are using us in this way. Lord God, we want to pray for our wider world also. And as we have seen in the news over this past week, Lord, we ask that you would be with our nation at this time as the government seeks to increase testing, Lord, not just for NHS staff, for all key workers. And we pray, Lord, that you would aid our government in their work as they seek to lead our nation through this particular trial. Lord God, we pray as well for all those who are sick with coronavirus. Lord, we ask that you would be with them, that they would know your presence. And Father, that you would be also with their families who must be truly worried at this time where they cannot even go in and be with their loved ones as they are sick. Lord, we pray as well for those uh, families who are affected by death and loss at this time. We read in the news of difficulties of providing funeral services for people. And Lord, we ask that you would bring comfort to those who need it at this time. Lord, where they are perhaps not able to attend the funeral of a family member or loved one or friend. Lord God, we ask that in this time your presence would be felt, your strength would be made available to people, and that Christ in all of his fullness would be revealed to them, that they might cast themselves upon him, and that he would be their rock at this time. Lord God, we think again of our wider world and pray especially for developing nations. Lord God, we are privileged in this country, although we are uh, going through this difficult time of isolation because of coronavirus. We're aware, Lord, that we have an abundance of uh, fresh running water and soap with which to wash our hands and keep clean. Lord, we have hospitals with an abundance of um, trained medical staff to deal with uh, the problems of coronavirus as well as the various other health problems we suffer over the course of our lives. And Lord, we're so aware there are many nations in this world that have neither of those things. They cannot keep themselves clean and so will not be able to prevent the spread of coronavirus. They live, Lord, crammed in many people uh, in a small space. And so, Father, cannot help but come into contact with people. There will be no social isolation for them. And, Father, when they do become sick, there will be no hospital bed. There will be no trained doctors or medication to make them uh, better or to give them comfort when they need it. And so, Lord God, from our place of great 
comfort and of plenty. We ask that you would be with nations all over the world. And as much as we need financial provision for our own citizens, we do ask that our governments would be generous. And Lord, we bless those nations who simply cannot afford these things. Lord, that they might also be able to weather this particular storm. Father God, we ask all of these things in the knowledge that we are small and finite. There is a limit to what we are able to do, and yet you are the infinite God of creation. You are able to do all things. And so, Lord, as we ask that you would bless the people of our world at this time, we ask more than anything else that the power of the gospel would be felt across the world as people consider the shortness of their days, the lack of control they have over their lives. And, Lord, through Jesus' work on the cross and in his resurrection power, you might transform the lives of a great many people all over this world. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen in the past week as uh, the coronavirus pandemic continues on, uh, another raft of businesses either threatening with uh, closing down altogether or uh, businesses actually closing and having to lay off members of staff at this time, which makes it almost impossible for them to be uh, rehired elsewhere. And as we look at society and the way that things are going, we might well ask uh, as church members or church attenders here in Livingston, how does our church expect to weather this particular storm? How does any church, how does the church globally expect to deal with this? But perhaps more specifically, how does our church hope to cope with all of the difficulties that this uh, pandemic is causing. And we might have a number of responses to that. Granted, we're not a business. We don't have to take in money every day uh, to buy stock and so on the way that other companies and organizations do. And yet there is tremendous difficulty. There is worry for us. Will everyone come back? Once the, the pandemic is over, will people want to gather together uh, to worship, given the risks that we've seen over the last wee while of people gathering together uh, in light of sickness and potential death? And so how do we address these issues and what confidence do we have as a Christian people? Well, one of the reasons I love God's word is that God addresses all of these sorts of issues in a whole variety of ways. And as we work through Genesis, we find ourselves coming to this story of the Tower of Babel and uh, the division of all the peoples of the world uh, as a result of them building this particular tower. And yet, even though this seems like a very strange story, a story which is perhaps quite alien to our view of the world, and we might struggle to know what on earth we're supposed to do with this passage of scripture, we find it directly applies to our circumstance, to our situation today, especially as we look at this issue of our confidence in uh, the church weathering this particular storm. So what are our responses? What may they be? And how does God's word speak to this particular situation? Well, as we ad address this, we might come up with a number of solutions to this problem. We might first decide it's best if we simply batten down the hatches, if we just shut everything down and just hold on and hope that if we can keep on top of uh, all our resources, if we can keep our members happy, if we can make sure that our members are provided for suitably, that everyone will come back after all this is done. 
if we make sure that financially we're sort of battening down the hatches, uh, then we'll have enough money to, to see this thing through and we'll still be able to pay for the maintenance and the upkeep of the building or uh, the paying of a pastor or whatever it may be. If we make sure that uh, our members are, are catered to, then then we'll know that they'll be looked after sufficient, that they'll be able to return at the end of this. Or that they uh, will want to come back to our church and not be drawn off elsewhere, given that most folks, I suspect, uh, have been listening not just to the services at Ladywell Baptist Church, but have been taking in services from all, ch- all sorts of churches all over the place. So just batten down the hatches and surely we will be fine. Well, the story in Genesis 11 paints an altogether different picture. In fact, it it sees us, I think, as God's people in a totally different light in adverse circumstances. And as we come to this passage, we find, uh, firstly, in the first four verses, that the Lord will build up his people. It is his work and will build up his people through their humility. As we come to this idea of literal building in Genesis, words perhaps that come to your mind, they certainly came to mind over this past week from Psalm 127 of the Lord building his house. And if the Lord doesn't build his house, then the people can labor all they want. It's not going to make any difference. And it was certainly foremost on my mind as I was thinking about our um, maintaining and seeking to have the church grow and develop through this particular time of difficulty. Unless the Lord does it, in a sense, it doesn't matter how much effort we pour into it, how much ingenuity we have in seeking to um, encourage that the members of this church and the folks in this community, it actually doesn't matter if we seek to simply batten down the hatches. If the Lord isn't involved in the building up of his people, then it's done in vain. And so we find in those first four verses, the Lord, um, the Lord's call to his people is being ignored and pride and arrogance has come in that they are sufficient to address the problem of how they will grow and flourish and thrive in a world which is now sick with sin and is ranged against them. At the beginning of the passage, we find the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now, just to pause very briefly here, we need to put this passage into some context. If you've remembered reading chapter 10, then you might have read at the end of each of the the genealogies, the family lists of the sons of Noah, you have read that these people were arranged in their families in certain parts of the world with their own languages uh, and their own words. And that doesn't make any sense if in Genesis 11 we're told that they all had one language and one word, one set of, of, of words. And I think what we are to understand here is that Genesis 11 fits into the events of Genesis chapter 10. They're not chronologically one following on from the other. What we have in Genesis 10 is just a description of the nations beginning to grow and somewhere in there, as we'll go on and see in just a few moments actually, Genesis 11 begins to be uh, historically lived out. And so in Genesis chapter 9, we have uh, the end of the flood. We have Noah blessing some of his sons and their families and cursing one of his sons for the shoddy treatment of Noah by his son, Ham. And then we have 
uh, the events of Genesis 11 beginning to unfold. Remember, Noah and his family, as Adam and Eve, were told in the beginning that they were to go and be fruitful and multiply and disperse themselves over the whole face of the world so that the whole earth might be blessed through their presence. Now, in Genesis 11, what do we read? We find the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so what we've got are God's people coming and in direct defiance of what God has told them to do, not distributing themselves over the face of the earth and multiplying, but instead staying in one location, in one place. And they're doing that for a few reasons. They're doing that in part for reasons of safety. There is great risk at spreading themselves out over the face of the earth. It's far safer to be together. They're doing it for reasons of provision. That if you have a whole city of people together, you can have certain people devoted to the task of farming, of manufacturing, of um, academic study, of scientific inquiry. That That's the great blessing of cities, that it provides enough for everyone and yet you also ensure that people are able to invest their time and effort in a variety of different disciplines, areas, so that you grow as a people, as a nation, not just numerically, but in terms of your culture. And they are seeking to make a name for themselves. They want fame. And really what that means is they want power. They want to be confident that they are the dominant people as that the population of the world begins to grow and expand. And what you see here are the children, I think, of Nimrod, which if you remember from chapter 10, is one of the great men after the flood who comes. He is a child, ultimately a grandchild of Ham's family. And he comes and establishes the city of Babylon and Erech and Akkad and the great centers of learning and civilization in the early part of the world. And in forging this sort of early empire, this early nation, we find that he becomes a great man, a man with a great name. And I think it is that family, ultimately the family of Ham, who are coming and establishing themselves, defying God and establishing themselves as a city, as a mighty people and seeking to build a name for themselves over all the other people of the world. And this is something we recognize in our own day, isn't it? That every nation wants to have a greater name than the nations around them. Britain wants to be, the UK wants to be greater than France or Germany or the EU or wants to be seen on a par with the United States or with Russia or China or whatever it might be. There is an ongoing desire to have a great name because it provides security and provision and comfort for your people. And yet we find the Lord not happy with this. This is not his plan for his people, for their provision and so on. The Lord builds his people through humility. And as he sees all the efforts of 
this people building this mighty city and this great tower that's going to reach to the very heavens themselves. And here we see um, the sin of the Garden of Eden. This is man wanting to take the place of God to reach into heaven and to, to have their place, a foothold in heaven and take the place of God. We find God having to peer down through the clouds. The Lord in verse 5 comes down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. He can't see it from heaven. It's so far away, so small that he has to condescend to come down to see it. All of man's great effort is tiny by comparison. We find as well that they've made this tower out of bricks and bitumen for mortar. And we might not see the significance of that, but there is a temporary nature to bricks and mortar as opposed to stone, uh, that that this tower and this city simply will not last. For all of the great aspirations of the people, it's a fleeting, a small, a humble thing for all of their pride. No, instead, God's desire is not that they would follow this path, but that they would follow the path he has given, that they would be fruitful and multiply and subdue the whole earth. Because God's desire is that he will make his people's name great. That he will be their provider, their sufficiency. And so we see in Genesis 12, following on from this, in fact at the very end of our passage in Genesis 11 into chapter 12, God's provision of a people, a singular people for himself. Abram's people that he calls out of Ur of the Chaldeans and will settle Um, with a family and a land and through Abraham's family the provision of a saviour will come and this is the the thread coming from Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3 that there will be a saviour that will come to crush the serpent's head, Satan's head and it will come through the family line of Adam and Eve and this is the family line focusing in on Abraham and ultimately we know on Jesus himself. Christ comes in the New Testament to build a dwelling place for God that will last forever. He says, doesn't he, during the end of his earthly ministry, as he looks at the temple and all of its grandeur and all of its splendor, the place where God and man meet together, Jesus says it will be knocked down and rebuilt again in three days and he will do it. And this is what he's talking about. Then this leads us to understand our place before God. It must be humble for all of our very best efforts will simply never be enough. We will focus all of our might on making sure that we are safe, that we are provided for, that we have enough to eat for today and tomorrow, that we have wealth and so on. And yet all of it is so beneath God. It's almost laughable. And as we see our place put into context in this passage we recognize that we need someone else to come and be our provider we need the Lord to build us as a people through our humility through our calling out to him to provide and not through simply working hard in and of ourselves as good as it is to work hard and so we work but knowing that the Lord works through us as he provides for us in so many ways And a great reminder to me has been uh, over the past number of weeks, things like the community fridge within our church that continues to operate week by week and bless a great many people uh, in Ladywell and beyond. And although it is the work of people in our church and through 
the work of some really great folks at the, the Ladywell Neighbourhood Network and, and carrying on this work locally, although they are labouring, it is the work of the Lord in providing the food for this uh, this community fridge. It is the work of the Lord in providing these people to labor on his behalf. It's the work of the Lord as they meet with people and talk with them and give them the physical provisions they need for each week that those folks are blessed beyond measure. It's all God's work and we are humble in being involved in it, but he is the one who does the work. Our church will be built both numerically and in the depth of its faith, through the Lord's work on our behalf, we simply cannot drum up enough support to have people come to our church through human means that, that will last. For if we encourage people to come, if we entice people to come using worldly means, then they'll simply move on elsewhere once this is all finished and another church comes along with more interesting looking worship or teaching or whatever it might be. No, the Lord will call his people to this place, will build his congregation, will build his church. And in humility, we are a part of that work. But we must submit ourselves to him, knowing that it is his work at the foundation. And so if we want our church to be built up, then we must come in humility before the Lord in prayer in asking that he would use us, but also in humility recognizing that we must go and serve. We cannot simply pass it on to someone else. We cannot simply expect that others will do our work. We, we must be talking to our neighbors and our friends and our family about the good news of the gospel, speaking to them about the ministries of our church and the glory of God as he works out his plans and his purposes through our fellowship here in Ladywell. The Lord will build up his people as we are humble and humbly submit to him. The Lord will also build up his people, we read from verses 5 through to 9, through diversity. Again, one of the great desires of people at difficult times is to be together with people who are just like them. There is comfort in being with people like us. And this is exactly what you see in Genesis. You have all of these people gathering together. They are one people and they speak with one language, with one set of words, Moses says. And the encouragement that they're seeking to draw from this is that if we're all the same, if we all have one purpose, one focus, one goal, then nothing will stop us. And that's exactly what God says as he looks upon them. As these people give themselves over to idolatry, to the worship of anything but God and his ways, they're never going to stop, God is saying. That there will be no end to their sinfulness. It'll be like before the flood when mankind was given over completely to sinfulness for their own sake. And God says, this isn't going to stop if he allows this to continue. And so God steps down and drives them apart by confusing their language. That They can't get on with one another. They can't speak with one another and communicate clearly to build this city and this tower which will reach up to the heavens and put them in the place of God, as it were. And so they disperse and they spread, which was God's plan all along, that they would spread throughout the nations. And in Genesis chapter 10, you see all of the families of Noah's sons all beginning to spread out throughout the known world, through different regions and different places, all speaking their own language, all coming together in little family units of their own. And as we look at the world today, we see that, don't we? All the peoples of the world speak different languages. 
And though they might be related in language families, originally, I believe, to one language that we find here at the beginning of chapter 11, it's almost impossible to speak clearly through one language to another, such that we constantly need interpretation and we need hard work to make one language understandable in another. And you can see in the EU, for example, great resolve to be together, and yet because of the division of language and the division of culture that goes with it, tremendous difficulty in working together, even to a common cause like dealing with coronavirus. And so it is even within the UK. For all that we are united by a common language, we find in all the various parts of the UK where we do all speak differently and the meaning of the words that we use is different. We find it hard enough to get on, never mind speaking foreign languages uh, across a whole region. So we find that the Lord brings great diversity and it scatters the people all over the world such that they lay aside their efforts building this city, this temple. And yet for all that division and diversity stops the working together of this people in a sinful way, we find that that same diversity also brings about the means by which, again, God will bless his people. And it's one of these amazing things that where God uses two things that seem to be opposing to work together for the good of his people that we we simply aren't able to see at that time. And so God's desire for a united people, a children of God, a church, is aided through the division of a people at Babel into a variety of peoples with cultures and languages that are all distinct from one another. And so as you see the church today established by Jesus, and you see that work really beginning in chapter 12 as Abraham's family is established, and Jesus comes to be the one who builds this worship, this worshipping people, this temple of God, the church, you find that with people all over the world speaking all sorts of different languages, becoming Christians through the work of Christ and coming into the church, the church is strengthened. And so it is better that the church has Scottish people and Nigerians and Chinese and Russians and Australians and Mexicans and Americans and Argentinians, all with different ways of worshipping God, with different language and different meanings behind some of those words that they use that add colour and depth and flavour to our worship. The church is stronger as a result. And we see that through the ministry of Jesus. Jesus unites people, not because they're all the same, they're all tremendously different, but he unites them because of the one common thing they do share, their fallenness in Adam, their sinfulness. And so as we are all united together by Christ, we find that the church is strengthened through the diversity of cultures and languages and gifts. And you see that at Pentecost. You see at Pentecost, Peter and the apostles going out and preaching and people from all the different nations of the Roman Empire at the time hearing the message in their own language as the Spirit of God pours himself out and makes the the apostles' message understandable. And the church incorporates people from all over the world and they then scatter and go back to their own nations with the good news of the gospel in their own language. And so the church blooms all over the Roman Empire in a way that would be unimaginable were it one group of um, Jews from Jerusalem seeking to go and proclaim the gospel. Strength is added to the church through diversity. And so it is for us today. 
that we labor hard for the sake of people coming from all over Ladywell, all over Livingston, all over Scotland, and all over the world. And as they come together, we find that they bring all sorts of different things. And so as we labor together for the glory of God, we all glorify God for different reasons. Some people have grown up in church and have only ever known church and Christian things and so glorify God from a certain perspective. Others have grown up in the world and perhaps have grown through abuse or drug addiction or alcoholism and so in being saved have a whole different perspective and so worship God differently. And yet it is all part of one great whole as we glorify God from a variety of perspectives. We all have different gifts and skills that come from our different backgrounds and perspectives. And all of that knitted together makes a whole far stronger than were we all the same from the same background, the same place of the same people. And you see that worked out. In the end in Revelation, don't you? As from Revelation 4 and then through 5 and on into the rest of the book, we have these pictures of a vast number of people, too many to count, with from every tribe and tongue and people and nation all worshipping God before his throne. And there is no hint that their diversity leads to division. It leads to greater unity together. And God is more abundantly praised because of it. And so the Lord will build his people through this time of isolation, through diversity, through apparent division, because of the work of Christ that unites us in spite of all of the differences we might have in our backgrounds and language and so on. The Lord lastly will build his people, his church, through weakness. Now, the very opposite, again, is pictured in this passage, isn't it, where there is a great desire for unity and strength in the riskiness of the world. One of the the desires of the builders of the tower and the city in Babel was that they would have security. They want salvation from a world that is working against them. Sin does that, doesn't it? We see that at the moment. Sin is the ultimate cause of coronavirus. It's because the world has been corrupted and damaged because of the presence of sin that sickness and death exist. And because sickness and death exist, we find the great need in every single one of us for safety and security. It's one of the reasons that we work and we gather together in families and in communities that we're trying to stave off the chaos of this world. Ancient civilizations that we know of were obsessed with escaping death. All of their religions were focused on that end. It's why the Egyptians build pyramids. It's why the Sumerians built temples. It's why people in South America built temples. It's why the Chinese um, built great structures to bury their dead with great terracotta armies and, and so on. It's to escape Death, or if we have to go through death to come out the other side, equipped for new life with all the provisions we would ever need. And so it is with the city and the tower in Babel, in, in, in what will become Babylon in Babel. It's designed to make men powerful enough to avoid death or to go through it and out the other side. It's to provide salvation. But when God builds his people, he provides salvation through their very weakness. We are not enough to save ourselves. And so we find we must call upon God to save us and he sends Jesus to be our perfect savior. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, 
I want you to know that there is a weakness in you that will never result in you being able to save yourself for all your effort will simply result in you slipping further and further away from the God who will save you. You need someone from outside of your circumstances with greater power than you to reach into your situation and to lift you up, to wipe you clean of of your sin, all the things that you do wrong that mar your life, that mark it and damage it and corrupt it, that cause you to hurt yourself and let yourself down, to let down and hurt your family and your friends, that have you constantly running on this treadmill of trying to make yourself better, but to no avail. Christ offers salvation to you, and he does it because of your weakness, because you can't save yourself. And so God builds up his people through their weakness in this way by removing the whole issue of risk and giving you certainty. Because in Christ we have a saviour who is completely perfect. He has poured out his blood on your behalf. He has laid himself down, sacrificed himself and paid for all of your sins, the things you do wrong. And so he incorporates you into a family, leaving no sin unpaid for. So that you have complete confidence in your salvation, such that Paul says in Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because that old sinful self It's gone, it's dead, it's been put away and a new you has been brought up and put in its place. And so risk, uncertainty are done away with. Weakness is your means by which you can call out to God and be given great strength. And unlike the city and the tower in Babel that are temporary, made of bricks and bitumen for mortar that will pass away, we we don't know where this tower is today. In a few thousand years, it is gone. Unlike that, your salvation in Christ, the church together, a people united by Jesus' sacrifice, will never, ever decay and die. And so the confidence that we have as individuals is in Christ's blood. And the confidence that we have that Christ will build his church here in this place is also rooted in Christ's blood. Such that the gates of hell will never prevail over the church as a whole. And we have confidence that as we labor for Christ's glory and for his name, making him known in the world, the church here in Ladywell will continue to be more firmly established, will grow deeper in its faith and in its knowledge of God, and also will grow bigger as we proclaim the gospel and sinners are saved and brought in. And so our efforts, as much as they may be, will not result in this church growing. Our strength as big as we may feel we are, will not be enough. It's all small to God. God peers down from heaven to see this tiny insignificant thing that the the builders of Babel feel are great and strong. Our efforts won't be enough. God's picture is always bigger though. He sees what they're trying to do God is going to do what they're trying to do in a sense, give them security and salvation. But God's picture is so much bigger than theirs. It won't come through some city or some small tower that they might build. It will come by the God of creation himself stepping into his world and offering himself as a savior to all. God's picture is always bigger than ours. And so faithfulness is our guide through this time of difficulty, through this time of not knowing what we're going to do and how will God bless his church. God will bless it by our being faithful. 
He may not add in number to us through this time. He may do. He may not add in um, material ways to our church, although he may do. But what he will do is deepen our faith and have us be a more effective people for his glory in Ladywell and Livingston and Scotland and beyond. Faithfulness is our guide because of our weakness, our smallness. All we have is faithfulness. And yet that is enough. Small as it may seem to us, this is part of God's bigger picture for our church and for our town. So have no worry about the health and the vitality of Lady Well Baptist Church. For as long as Christ is in our midst through his sacrifice on our behalf, as long as we are faithful to him and seeking to make much of him, glorify his name, tell others of the goodness and greatness of the gospel, we have nothing to fear. For God will build his people. And when God labors, the labor is not in vain. So have confidence that God will continue with us as a family and as a fellowship, even though we can't be together. For he is the one who is building. Amen. And as we prepare to go out into the coming week, I want you to go knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.